12 minutes past eight and US Vice President Mike Pence will arrive here tomorrow in time for the PyeongChang Olympics and to meet President Moon Jae-in. Although this is supposed to be the peace games with hopes of lasting cooperation between the Koreas, Pence's aide said Sunday his presence is to remind the world that everything the North Koreans do at the Olympics is a charade to cover up the tyrannical and oppressive regime. Strong words indeed. Um, he'll attend the opening ceremony of the Games along with the father of Otto Wombier, the American student who died shortly after being released from incarceration in North Korea last year, by the way. And also, North Korea is expected to hold its annual military parade tomorrow as planned. So, a lot going on in the background here. Let's bring in Patricia Kim, Stanton Nuclear Security Fellow at the Council on Foreign Relations. Thank you very much for speaking with us today. Thank you, Alex, for having me on your show. And what do you think, first of all, of of that very emotional potential for Otto Warmbier's father to to be there alongside Vice President Mike Pence in the presence or in the near presence of North Korean officials? Right. Uh, I think bringing Mr. Warmbier along as part of Vice President uh, Pence's delegation is part of the White House's efforts to stress the human rights abuses perpetuated by the North Korean regime and to make sure, in the vice president's words, that North Korea doesn't use the backdrop of the Winter Olympics to paper over the truth about their regime. So I think that's what the purpose is. And as far as, you know, the other aspects of this visit are concerned, we we, we know that uh, Vice President Pence is going to be witnessing um, the aftermath of, 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 the th- of the sinking of the Chonan warship that claimed so many lives here, 46 South Korean sailors killed in that sinking back in 2010. Um, it, he's not going to be shying away from the difficult moments in North Korea, in other words, in the last few years. No, that's right. Um, the White House officials have taken pains to stress in the last few days that the primary purpose of the vice president's visit is to keep the focus on you know, building maximum pressure on North Korea and keep the focus on its destabilizing behavior. Um, So I think his schedule reflects this tone that the White House wants to strike, which includes, as you say, a visit to a memorial for the South Korean sailors who were killed as a result of the Chunan sinking in 2010. And how does that then blend with President Moon's effort to use this as a Peace Olympics, an opportunity to actually build a lasting relationship with North Korea, which seems to be quite a challenge. That's right. It, uh, it is going to be a very big challenge, and I think uh, President Moon is in a tough spot. Um, there's been, a, for, for instance, there have been questions raised whether Vice President Pence will be meeting with Kim Jong-nam or anyone from the North Korean delegation. Um, and the Vice President has stated, you know, he's basically hedged by saying, we'll see what happens. Um, but he has clearly stated that he hasn't requested to meet with any North Korean officials, and if he were to, he would deliver the same message to them privately that he's been stressing publicly, which is that North Korea needs to give up its nuclear weapons. So I don't know how the White House feels about a meeting between the two sides, but it seems like the Blue House is hoping sincerely that the, the American and North Korean delegations will meet and that this will provide some sort of opening or uh, work as a precursor to negotiations between the two sides. Uh, but to be frank, you know, I think unless Kim Jong-nam is coming with a message from Kim Jong-un that, that North Korea is seriously interested in talking about denuclearization, I'm not sure whether a meeting between the Americans and the North Koreans, despite the Blue House's hopes, 
will lead to a meaningful breakthrough. And, and even if the meeting does happen, um, which itself may not be the case, we've got these planned military drills immediately after the Paralympics. That, that's a huge problem because, again, we've seen North Korea in the last day or so talking about having those cancelled. North Korea is not happy with this idea, despite its own military parade planned for tomorrow. That's right. And I don't see, um, I don't think those military drills will be postponed any longer. Um, What I've heard from Washington is that it's very important to continue with the drills in order to show our resolve to North Korea to show that we're capable of defending ourselves uh, and that the U.S.-ROK alliance is strong. Uh, so in that sense, I think, you know, the ball is largely now in Pyongyang's court. I think North Korea's behavior during and after the Olympics will largely determine what happens next. Did North Korea really have to go ahead, though, with this huge military parade tomorrow? Uh, I, you know, I don't... <laughs> I think it's sort of thumbing its nose at everyone and saying, you know, we're going to do whatever we want. And I think, you know, it's a, it's kind of a bad indicator of the fact that that they're not truly interested in coming to the negotiating table. And it's it's making South Korea's position difficult. It makes it difficult to open talks with the United States. So it's not productive in any way. Right. And and then of course we have the question of Victor Cha, which um, takes us to relations directly between Seoul and Washington, he would have been perhaps U.S. ambassador to South Korea. He's not going to be anymore, the Georgetown University professor and prominent writer. And it's um, it's certainly been brewing concerns here that someone more hawkish or even more hawkish will take that particular position. What, what are you hearing there in Washington about his withdrawal? Right. Uh, well, I haven't heard anything yet about new nominees, so I'm not sure what to expect in terms of a replacement. Um, but what I would note is that if the reports are true that Victor Cha's nomination was dropped because he expressed his opposition to a bloody nose strike option, um, and, you know, it seems like that there is truth to this because I haven't heard any other good reason why his nomination was dropped, then it seems to indicate that the White House is not interested in hearing opposing assessments. And I find this very concerning, to say the least. Yeah, and in fact, actually, it would be the strongest indicator that the U.S. would seriously consider a bloody nose strategy. In other words, a limited strike on North Korea, not an all-out war. Although, of course, that strategy could lead to an all-out war. Uh, That's right. And we're all very concerned uh, about the prospects and consequences of a bloody nose strike. Uh, Although the White House has tried in the last few days to try to downplay the notion that a strike is imminent. Um, I think most experts agree that the idea of preemptively striking North Korea in the nose, especially before the United States lays out any specific conditions um, for the sole purpose of scaring it to the negotiating table, would be counterproductive, to say the least. They would put at risk the lives of millions of Koreans and Americans and other Asians. Yeah, I mean, the question of even what it would physically look like is horrifying, fascinating for many military pundits to consider, though, as well. Um, You, by the way, you wrote that U.S. President Trump's State of the Union address signals a dangerous turn, too, in North Korea policy. Uh, Can you elaborate on that point that you made? Sure. So I'll start with it. So, so far, the Trump administration has sent mixed signals on its willingness to actually negotiate with North Korea. 
So the State Department on one side has been emphasizing that we're ready to talk, while the White House has been talking solely about maximum pressure. I think the State of the Union address was notable in this regard because President Trump basically only talked about maximum pressure. Uh, he went out of his way to highlight the tragic stories of those who suffered at the hands of the North Korean regime. But he failed to make any reference to the ideas of diplomacy or negotiations. So I think the tone of this speech in conjunction with the news of Victor Cha's um, nomination being canceled you know, shows that the White House is walking in a dangerous direction. And I think it would be best if the White House would return to its own stated policy of maximum pressure and engagement that it settled on last year in April 2017 after doing a two-month review of North Korea policy. Because doing just maximum pressure without any regard for engagement is not productive because it, the strategy only works if both components are applied simultaneously. So what I mean by that is that North Korea not only needs to understand that they will be progressively squeezed and isolated as long as they continue to hold on to their nuclear weapons, but they also have to see a viable way out of the uh, corner. So North Korea's leaders have to believe that if they were to give up their weapons, they'll truly have a better future, which at a minimum includes their survival. So this means that, that as unpalatable as it is, any diplomatic solution to the nuclear crisis has to include a commitment by the United States not to overturn the Kim regime. So I think it would be very helpful in this regard if per President Trump personally reaffirmed that he's not out to do regime change or he's not out to strike Pyongyang. And it would be even better if he himself outlined specific assurances that North Korea can expect to receive if it lays down its weapons. Patricia Kim, Stanton Nuclear Security Fellow, Council on Foreign Relations, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you, Alex. Pleasure to have you on the line.